You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Heather Long, an economic columnist and member of the Post editorial board. Today, I'm honored to be joined by Maya McGinnis, president of the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that lawmakers of both parties often turn to to try to figure out how to get a better budget and how to fix this debt ceiling crisis we are in. Welcome, Maya. It is good to see you. Thanks, Heather. Thanks for having me. So everybody's mind is on this big meeting tomorrow. We are finally having these congressional leaders. President Biden are going to sit down and talk about this massive issue. What are you watching for tomorrow? Well, first, finally, right? Like, I was just looking back. We have actually known about this debt ceiling deadline for a year and a half. I mean, we have known about it for so long. And the fact that we're just getting discussions going now, um, I say this as the world's biggest procrastinator. I know, I wait till the last minute, the pressure helps me get things done, but it's no way to run a country. And it really is a problem that in budgeting these days, we always wait until the last moment. We always wait until the action forcing crisis to, to budget, to get things done. And here we go again, it's been 100 days since they last talked. So first I will say, I am very glad they are having this conversation. And when I think about this, this is gonna be a theme you're gonna hear from me, but I just don't think having two teams fighting each other is the way to run a country. And I do think that these five leaders should probably be talking at least every week, if not every day. So great that they have the discussion that's getting started. What you have right now is a president who has said he wants a clean debt ceiling increase. This makes sense. There has been real trouble and drama created by some of those in the Republican Party who have been saying, I am willing to default or I will never lift the debt ceiling. That kind yeah, of conversation. Can I ask yeah. you about that, Maya? So, yeah. you know, as you say, in principle, we should be able to do this clean debt limit increase. Uh, is that still possible in your eyes or is does the White House need to shift its strategy? They do need to sh shift their strategy. There is not going to be a clean debt ceiling increase in that there's going to have to be a package of savings. There has to be a package of savings or at least a plan to fund the government no matter what, because the fiscal year will come to an end at the end of September. We'll have to figure out how to fund the government. So the White House should be looking for a plan with Republicans where they can negotiate what those savings will be and what those funding levels will be, not directly as a part of the debt ceiling, but as a part of the plan for fiscal 2024. And Republicans will be able to say, okay, we got what we wanted, we wanted some savings. They'll be able to separate them and they'll have slightly different descriptions. But the bottom line is, it was not going to be a clean debt ceiling increase. And quite often, it is not a clean debt ceiling increase. Let me remind people that under President Trump, we lifted the debt ceiling three times, and in each one of those, other policy riders went along with the increase as well. The difference was those, those uh, policies that were attached to the debt ceiling actually borrowed more money, so they made the fiscal situation worse. But many, many times in the past, we've also had plans where we lifted the debt ceiling and we had packages of savings that went along. I think it makes sense, but what does not make sense is the fact that there have been some people who've been saying they're willing to default they will not lift the debt ceiling under any condition. That's yeah. just not an option. It's incredibly destructive. And it doesn't make sense with our fiscal policy where we know that we're going to be borrowing. So you have to lift the debt ceiling. The question is, can you also use it as a chance to try to change our fiscal trajectory, which is an unsustainable one that we're currently on? So I hear you describing that 
in your eyes, the ideal here and what will probably happen is this parallel track, a, a process to lift the debt ceiling alongside a process to negotiate some sort of budget savings or additional revenue. Um, but tell us what probably happens in the next few weeks. Obviously, we're starting to talk about a June 1st deadline, whether it's June 1st or June 10th, it's coming soon. That's not a lot of time to negotiate. So what needs to happen in the next few days and weeks? Yeah, it is coming soon and it's it's probably coming quicker quicker than we had expected. It may get pushed out to July. Even so, that's still a very close deadline. And again, these discussions haven't taken place for so many months when they should have. So they've got to get moving. Um, the second thing I would say is often at times like this, you hope or you assume that probably there's a secret plan somewhere behind a curtain that they all know how this is going to end. As far as I know, there's no secret plan. And so what I hope and what I think should happen is they're really going to start discussing what do they need to make this work? I think one thing that's clear is that part of the deal is going to be we will have discretionary spending caps. Caps are things that we've had many times in the past. Sometimes they work really well and they've helped improve the fiscal situation. And sometimes like with the sequester that we had over the past years, they didn't work at all because they were too aggressive and politicians couldn't stick with them. So I would say spending caps that are realistic make sense. They help with the budget. They help control the notion of budgeting but they can't be so aggressive that nobody will stick with them. So I think the first debate they will have is what spending caps can they live with? And importantly, will defense and veterans be under those caps or not? Because there's sort of been different arguments coming from the Republicans in particular, whether they would want these caps to apply to defense or not. The second thing I think that they probably should come out of the meeting understanding is, I think they need to lift the debt ceiling for a short-term increase to give themselves some space. And in fact, the Washington Post in the editorial made the point today, which I completely agreed with, which is in order to have a sequence of this negotiating sensible, let's focus on the budget first, let's focus on discretionary spending, let's focus on what savings might be a part of a package for an overall fiscal 24 package, and do that before the debt ceiling so that we can get the budget pieces controlled, have enough breathing room, and then lift the debt ceiling again without drama. So you're saying what will probably happen maybe in the coming weeks, the next month is some vote to have a short-term increase to maybe lift it until September or October to give a little bit of breathing room to actually have these very challenging discussions and negotiations so, on a budget? I, I'm not sure. I, I may conflate what I want and what I think will happen. What I definitely want to have happen is a short-term increase so that we can take some of the pressure off and negotiate this in the right way. Um, I also happen to think that will happen. But so far, this has not played out the way I would have wanted because I thought we should have increased the debt ceiling months and months ago. Um, but I, I do think a debt ceiling increase for the for a couple of months would make this so much easier. And I believe that the political leaders will come to that same conclusion, hopefully tomorrow as well. Now, I think there may be an ask where people say, Republicans will say, we don't want to have a clean debt ceiling increase even for a short term. So we need to have some savings that go along with that. And if you look at the package that they've put forth, I think one thing that could make sense is if we were to say, let's end all COVID spending that hasn't already been spent. There's tens of billions of dollars there in savings. Let's not spend that money and let's lift the debt ceiling for a few months. I think that might be a, a plan that could appeal, appeal to enough people that we could get that done quickly. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. I want to ask you about the 14th Amendment. I, I know you are pretty well versed in this. Um, for those at home who are just trying to figure this out, like many of us, 
um, there's been this idea that's floating around that uh, the 14th Amendment says, of course, that we do have to pay our obligations, pay our debts as a country. And so the idea would be that the president could unilaterally lift the debt ceiling, not involve Congress and basically say that Congress didn't do its duty. And so he needs to step in. Uh, this got a little bit of a boost over the weekend and our rival, the New York Times, Lawrence yeah, Tribe, right. a, uh, a Democratic strategist, said he changed his mind and that he is now advising the White House and others to take this idea seriously. Should we take it seriously? Well, listen, let me first say I have absolutely zero legal expertise. Um, but you read that and it is quite clear that we are constitutionally required to pay our debts. Um, and so I assume that there will be lots of legal interpretations that that makes sense, that when those two things come at odds with each other, there would be a legitimate argument to go ahead and pay the pay what we owe. But Heather, it should not come to that. It should not come to a great country talking about whether when we have laws that are at odds with, e at odds with each other, how we're going to play that out and whether it would get tied up in courts. It should not come to whether we should have mint trillion dollar coins or prioritize any of these like plans to get around it. If we stopped acting like two teams trying to kill each other and then said, let's look at the sensible situation. We have to lift the debt ceiling. These are paying for things that we have already put in law. These are promises we, and obligations we have made. This is doing nothing to make us more fiscally responsible in the future. It's saying we are going to pay what we've paid for in the past. So we have to lift the debt ceiling. And at the same time, we have an unsustainable fiscal situation. We are about to reach debt to GDP that is the highest it has ever been in the history of this country. The last time this happened was right after World War II. We're about to reach a point where our interest payments cost more than we spend on either defense or Medicaid. We are over the next decade going to spend over $10 trillion in interest payments. Our debt is growing faster than our economy. Social Security and Medicare are going to hit points where their, their trust funds become insolvent in a decade or a little bit more. None of these things say anything other than we have to make fiscal changes. You cannot read a CBO report without understanding we have to make changes. So the only thing we should be talking about is how we lift the debt ceiling without drama and how we recognize that our fiscal situation is unsustainable. Many, many reasons for that. We've been borrowing too much recently and that's pushed up inflation. We borrowed way too much under the Trump administration when the economy was strong. We borrowed trillions during COVID, which was exactly when we should have borrowed. And that's why you want to be in a good fiscal situation so you, so you can borrow during those emergencies. But there should be no argument that we do need to make changes to our fiscal trajectory. And where we should be discussing and debating is, okay, what changes should we make? And we should do that in a timely manner so that it doesn't bump up against emergencies like the debt ceiling. So back to your question. Yes, I think the 14th Amendment does give a strong argument that we may see people going ahead, even if we hit the debt ceiling and saying they're gonna make make good on those obligations. I don't know how that plays out. I just know we're stupid to let ourselves find out. We're stupid to cross over the line of the X state. We should get this done, in fact, before we even hit extraordinary measures. And we have to run a country where we are not having these self-imposed crises. There are enough really tough things in the world we should be focusing on rather than dealing with emergencies that we create on our own. Mm. So I was going to ask you about mint the coin, but I assume you'd give a pretty similar answer. So I won't well, do that. But let me ask it this. Let me ask something different, given the passion that you just said. 
should we get rid of the debt ceiling, this notion of a debt limit? You know this as well as I do. Almost no other country has anything like this. When they approve their spending, they also approve the borrowing. We somehow have tried to separate the budget process and the actual limit for borrowing. You know, it goes back to the world wars. And so should we just get rid of this? Yeah. The answer is the time has come. We have proven that this is, so when you have something where the, the punishment or the default problem is so dangerous, you can't live with it, it's no longer an effective tool if it's going to possibly risk really having a default. The reason the debt ceiling made so much sense for a long time is that we have no built-in processes in our budget that make us pause and look at our fiscal situation. In fact, we actually don't pass budgets in this country. We haven't passed a budget on time in 20 years. This year, neither the House or the Senate nor the Senate Budget Committee have even put forth their budgets yet. So we don't do the act of budgeting. And for that reason, the debt ceiling for many, many years has actually played an overall productive role where it forced legislators to stop, assess the fiscal situation, and quite often in past decades, put in place savings packages while lifting the debt ceiling. And so that speed bump was used productively. However, I think those days are gone. We now have gotten to the point where the drama and the risk is just too high. And I assume we're going to get through this without default, but I also don't assume that means the next one will be easier. It may be more difficult. So I think, I think here's what we need to do. I think there's a number of things we need to do to land this whole situation safely. The first is we need to have a short-term debt ceiling increase so we can negotiate this on the budget. The second is we need to have a package of immediate savings, discretionary caps, some of the other things that have been discussed out there. The third thing we need to do is we actually need to look at the real drivers of the debt. And those are our biggest social security and Medicare entitlement programs. Those are taxes. We need to put everything on the table and we need a fiscal commission that's going to look at how to deal with inflation, the debt, economic growth, and staving off insolvency. So some kind of a commission to really strengthen our fiscal situation and importantly, protect those programs from becoming insolvent. Um, but I also think along with that, there are two more things we need to add in. We need to have an agreement from our lawmakers that instead of fighting over the debt ceiling, they will actually agree not to pass more legislation that has more debt, unless it's an emergency, until they get the fiscal situation under control. So we have pay-as-you-go rules that they routinely blow through. They should have a real agreement. They will stick with them from now, at least until the net, next debt ceiling, and hopefully we'll be in better shape then. And finally, it's time to reform the debt ceiling. And here's what I would propose. Instead of separating, when you look at legislation that adds to our borrowing, and then months or years later deciding, deciding whether to pay those bills or not, they should require that before you ever pass legislation that would engage in new borrowing, that you also lift the debt ceiling. And that would tie the responsibility of those people who are saying, I want this tax cut, but I don't want to pay for it, or I want this new spending program and I want to push the bills to the future. The same people who are voting for that legislation that relied on borrowing would also lift the debt ceiling. And so you would connect those two and you wouldn't be able to add to the debt unless you'd also lifted the debt ceiling. So I think that would link in, in a way that makes more sense, but would still keep in place some kind of a speed bump so that we don't just borrow you know, with, without any controls on it. And the problem, of course, that we have is that our political system is such that nobody likes to pay for things with taxes or offsetting other spending cuts. And so the propensity of politicians is always to go for the borrowing than the actual pay force. Yeah, there's a lot of bipartisan agreement on that. Yes, there is. Well 
So let me ask, um, we've gotten a ton. You mentioned Social Security and Medicare. Obviously, the president and House Republican leaders have said that's off the table, so they're not going to address that, even though those are major drivers of the long-term debt situation. But I want to ask you, we've gotten a ton of people who are on Social Security who've written into the Post, and they're really worried. What if the country defaults? Are they going to get their checks? Are they going to get their payments on time? What are the real consequences of a default? Yeah, I mean, I can't say 100% don't worry, but I can say 99% don't worry. One, I don't think we are going to default. And two, I certainly don't think that there's going to be a pause for Social Security payments. I think that if there's any situation, it would be very short. And I think there's universal agreement that Social Security checks need to go out to the people, people who depend on them, people who count on them. However, if we get close to defaulting or if we start to have, and you know, there's a downgrade because we're still not talking about lifting the debt ceiling, what we could see is huge gyrations in the markets and a lot of economic disruption. And not just Social Security retirees, but everybody should be worried about that because that could be very unhealthy for the economy. We could, listen, we are already in such a difficult situation trying to fight inflation, avoid a recession, stop bank contagion, and avoid default. Any additional kind of disruption to the markets could make all of that worse. And so it wouldn't be that my concern is for people who are recipients of Social Security in particular, it would be overall that there could be a lot of uncertainty and chaos and, and problems in the overall economy if we get close to default, certainly if we do default. But here's what I will yeah. say for Social Security recipients. I know there is a bipartisan promise going on out there. We promise not to touch Social Security or Medicare benefits. That, in fact, is the worst news there is for current retirees. Because within just an, over a decade, if we do nothing, there will be across the board benefit cuts. And that means for somebody who is a retiree today, they are very likely to have benefit cuts if we do nothing. The best yeah. way to protect yeah. people I, is to make changes to this program in a way that ensures that people who depend on it are not affected and they're phased in gradually and their combination of, you know, whether it's means testing or retirement age or how you can one more. I know our time is yeah. short. Oh, sorry. Um, no problem. We, I know you have to go. So let me just ask you one more. You've laid out a really solid potential path that should happen going forward, how to get to a negotiation and a deal. But one of the stickiest items, as you well know, is whether there should be a cap on defense spending. This mm -hmm. is a tricky time for the United States. We got a lot going on on the defense side. Do you recommend putting a cap on defense as well as non-defense discretionary spending? I think all parts of the budget aren't just about numbers. They're not just about spreadsheets. Yes, I do have a coffee mug that says I love spreadsheets, but it doesn't mean that's how you make important decisions. I think our defense policy needs to be determined from what our national security needs are, and then you put in a budget in place there. My personal belief is that there's plenty of places in the Defense Department where we could have savings. There's also some areas where we're going to need to spend more, but I think we should separate the two look at defense and non-defense and evaluate them based on the needs. But the kinds of um, the spending cap that has been put forth by the Speaker McCarthy, uh, by Speaker McCarthy only works if it's a cap on all spending. If you exempt defense and you exempt veterans, which some people would like to do, those cuts would be too high on the rest of the budget to be livable. They'd be just too big. So I think we have to be realistic about specifically where we can get those savings. And I think there are some real national security needs but there, there are without questions 
areas you can save money in the defense budget, they should be put in based on defense policy. One of the reasons people go to discretionary caps is it looks so easy. It just you just say cap it at you know this year, this amount of growth. But there's real programs under there, and the evaluation should come from where are there savings to be had. And I think it is a precarious time in terms of national security, so we won't be able to get as much defense savings as we could have a number of years ago when things felt safer. Um, but what I guess my I would end with there is we need realistic caps. We can't have cuts of 10, 15, 20% in certain areas of the budget where there isn't agreement that those programs aren't working as they should be, because that's just not something we'll be able to stick to. So what we want to have is budgetary caps that nudge us to think about the best way to spend the dollars, but are sustainable. And so we don't end up doing end runs around them, which is what we did around the sequester for a lot of last decade. But again, Heather, the main thing is we're not going to fix the budget from the discretionary portion of the budget. The big drivers, Social Security, Medicare, health and retirement and taxes, those have to be on the table. We have to do them carefully, thoughtfully. Certainly, we do need to protect seniors who depend on the program, and I think there'll be a political agreement. You're not going to disrupt current retirees, but we have to stop demagoguing these issues and pretend that we are going to ignore problems when we know the programs face insolvency, and we can't ignore the fact that we need higher revenues. We need more taxes to pay for all the spending that we do do, and all these third rails of things that people pretend that they're not going to touch just isn't realistic, and it's driving us to focus on the wrong parts of the budget everything needs to be on the table. Maya McGinnis from the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. You always make a lot of sense. I hope lawmakers are listening. Thanks for Thank joining you, us sir. Post Live. Thanks. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.